0: Two jokes to start with. I'll tell you that in advance so you can pretend they're funny. Um, you've probably heard both of them before because this is my 12th year and frankly I'm running out of material. But uh, we'll uh, just pretend that you've not. If you're new, you haven't heard them so you can go, oh, everyone else can go, really? Anyway, so two jokes. Um, there was a ship that was sinking and, uh, and the captain in his panic declared at the top of his voice, Is there anyone here who knows how to pray? And there was a deafly hush and, uh, and a priest put his hand up rather sort of spiritually confidently, and said, uh, I know how to pray, thinking he was going to save everyone. And the captain said, that's a relief. We're one life jacket short. <laughs> and that bodes well. Next one you've definitely heard 400 times, but I don't really care. A Baptist missionary, I haven't got any, forget the denominations of these jokes, was in Africa, and he was walking through the uh, jungle there, and he heard an ominous sound of the padding of lion's paws behind him. Oh, Lord, cried the, mission, cried the missionary, prayed the missionary, in fact, Grant in thy goodness that the lion walking behind me is a good Christian lion. And in the silence that followed, the missionary heard the lion praying to. Oh Lord, he prayed. That's how lion's talk. I thank thee for the meal which I'm about to enjoy. (laughs) That's a good start, isn't it? I might just stop there. Thank you. Bless you for clapping. Um, That's a rare thing that happens. Um, Anyway, so, Prayer. Um, We're in our month of prayer, and uh, if you've been able to get out and get to some of our prayer events, uh, that's brilliant. Uh, Really good that you've been able to do that. Um, But every January, we set aside, we try and cancel as much as we can. Our connect groups stop, and we all descend upon the church mainly around here, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in the evenings, and then Thursday afternoons, and then Sunday evenings. And and if you've not come to a single prayer meeting yet, you really should have done, uh, and you really should. Uh, We've still got a few days left. So please come, we're asking God to bless our town, we're asking God to bless this church, to raise us up, to send us out, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to fill us with faith and knowledge of the King of Kings and to grow and go. Uh, we're asking God to really revive and bless our town so the message of Jesus is spread far and wide. We're not just here to have a nice time together on a Sunday, you I know you know this, but we're there to preach the gospel to those who are lost, who don't know, who have an unsure future and eternity. And if you're here and you've not made your mind up on Jesus Christ, today is the day. What is the worst that can happen to you? But the best that can happen to you can be everlasting life and total, utter forgiveness of every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever thought. You can be set completely free. Why wait? Why not do it today? Why not just say, Jesus, be king of my life. Forgive me for everything I've done. Now be my king. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you're God's son. It's a simple... That's that. So, having a month of prayer on Tuesday, I was here re- rehearsing with the panto. Doing not that and, uh, and it was wonderful to stick my head in the church and see about 20 people kind of all sitting on top of each other uh crowded around the front praying for this town and it's been a real privilege as well uh, to come on sunday evenings and a, a smaller group sadly of us going out around the town and prayer walking and actually seeing parts of sawbridge roof that we don't normally see perhaps seeing people we don't normally see and being able to say god bless this person and bless that house and bless that situation and it's been a real real privilege but let me ask you a question. If you've been out to pray or you pray generally, I hope you do. um, Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Um, Some people get up nice and early. Some people pray before they go to bed. But what is it you do when you pray? What is it that drives you to pray? For some people, they pray simply because they need something. I need some help. God, help me. I'm not very well. I need to be set free. Lord, come and do this. Lord, save me. Do this. Maybe you pray to give thanks. Something's happened, and the first thing you want to do is say, Lord, Thank you so much for blessing me and setting me free. Maybe it's simply something you need. Well, I need this. I need this thing to happen. And for me, um, I think I'm becoming a mature Christian eventually. Slowly, it's a, a slow process. But as I get older in the faith, and it's been 30 years now, which is quite a scary thought, um, but as 30 years of being a Christian, whilst I still pray those things, I pray for help, I pray for what I need, I pray to give thanks, I find that my prayers are more becoming actually an invitation to God. When I sit in a situation, because situations i realized at 41 at last, that life isn't just this even kill of always good or always okay, that sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's going backwards, forwards, left ways, up, down, inside out. And actually what I'm doing more and more is just saying, Lord, be, be in it with me, be in this thing I'm going through, because I've got to go through it. You know, I've got to get old or I'm going to be ill or I'm going to have this pain. I've got to have those things because that's life. So, Lord, be in it with me. Give me wisdom within it. Protect my heart. Give me the, the way through it. And, and I think I find myself thinking that's a, a better way of praying, perhaps, for me. Oh, I saw a quote this week which I thought was quite good about prayer. And the quote will appear on the screen, but goes like this. The reality is my prayer doesn't change God. But I am convinced that prayer changes me. Praying boots me out of that stale place of religious habit into authentic conversation with God himself. How I am bored of sometimes visiting this place of stale religious habit, and it's boring there. Nothing exciting happens in stale Christianity. I wanna be out there in that authentic relationship with the king of kings, and that happens when you pray. You soon become stale when you stop praying. Reminds me of John 17, verse 15. Jesus, talking with his uh, praying for his disciples, called the high priestly prayer, Um, Jesus said this in verse 15 of John 17, My prayer is praying to God the Father for us. What a wonderful picture. God the Son prays to God the Father for us and for his current disciples then. He says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So it's not that you escape, but as we go through, God protects our hearts and is with us in those moments. And what's wonderful about being a Christian is, is we get not to escape stuff. Life's rubbish for everyone, isn't it? But we get to go with God through what's bad. As a guy that came to this church when I first came, when we first came, and I've forgotten his name, but he did an evening service talk, and I remember him telling this story of when he was a very small child, and there were some bullies um, at a bridge just outside their village on the way to the shop, and every time he had to go to the shop, he'd pass his pack of kids, and he was terrified of them, and he said to his dad, can you go and sort them out for me? And the dad said, no way. He said, can you go to the shop for me? And he said, no. You get your shoes on, and you go now. And he made his son go, and his son was terrified. He thought, what's going to happen? I'm going to get beaten up or something. And as he walked towards this group of bullies, the most amazing thing happened. They all parted as he got towards them. He walked straight through, and he thought, what on earth's happening? And when he got to the shop, he realised that his dad had left three or four minutes afterwards. And they saw, the, the bullies saw the dad. and The son didn't. What a... Kind of an illustration of life for the Christian. Sometimes I don't see God. Sometimes I often wonder if he's there in the pain that I'm going through. But he's always with us. Our pain sees him, the darkness sees him in the darkness flees. And we get to go with God through our pains. And I find myself praying more and more in that way. So we're going to look at Psalm forty six um under the sort of heading of prayer and praying. This morning. And, and if you've, uh, Megan read it for us, which is very nice of her, and uh, you'll be familiar with that Psalms. Um, you, you, often at Remembrance Sunday, we read it, it's inspired a songs, isn't it? God is our strength and refuge. And ever-present help in times of trouble. You'll be familiar with this psalm. Uh, it's a song, a song uh, in the book of Psalms that celebrates Zion, a city where God is. It celebrates this city, which is Jerusalem, where God is and where God will bless the world from. This is all about how God's going to be in one place and he's going to bless the world from Zion, from Mount Zion in Israel. Psalm, this psalm has uh, two, two sections to it, two halves. Verses 1 to 7 are really telling us that God is a mighty fortress. And in verses 8 to 11, they're telling us that that same God, who is our fortress and our strength, will be exalted among the nations. And actually, as Christians, that's what we know will happen. We look at our godless world and we think, God's never going to be king of that country or that country. Yes, he will. His kingdom is going to come and he will rule the earth in its entirety. And he's our God and we stand with him And he will not be defeated. Each of these two halves, verses 1 to 7 and 8 to 11, have a refrain. It's kind of like a chorus line, if you like, that reminds us of the core message and the core hope of this psalm. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, verse 7. And then again repeated in verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the hope of God's people in this psalm, and it's the hope of God's people. Now, God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress and our strength. And it's the most wonderful psalm. And so I'm sitting there, as I do, Thursday morning at the Cafe of the Angels, more and more having the mickey taken out of me by various customers, because they come in and go, "Right, in your sermon, Gary. And I say, yep. And, uh, and then I've got lots of offers for, for help, uh, mainly from members of the town council for, uh, asking if I want help for inspiration. I politely turn them down. Um... So I was sitting there, and I was looking at this psalm, and I found myself wondering, Lord, what do you want me to say? And that's always my first question. Lord, what's the message for Sunday morning? What do you want me to say at the front to everybody? And then something struck me about this psalm, which I thought was brilliant. I hope you agree. You may not. Um, But what I love about this psalm, actually, is when you look at it, it has two very different messages, two very different themes that run uh, across this psalm. There's one message about the state of our world. This psalm talks about our world. And this psalm also talks about who God is. The character of God and the state of our world. Let me read it to you again. And then you can see if you spot both those two themes uh, working in this psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There at the holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And you can see those two themes uh, in that psalm. We've got this language of, of the earth tumbling and falling to pieces, and then you get the strength of God, the fortress, and our strength. And actually, as I sat there, I thought to myself, I wonder what this psalm would feel like if I took out all the positive statements about God. What would I be left with? What's the message about our world in this psalm? And this is what I was left with when I took out all the stuff about God. And you can see it behind me as well trouble therefore we will fear the earth gives way the mountains move into the heart of the sea its waters roar foam and mountains tremble the nation's rage and kingdoms totter when you take god out of this psalm he left with a very bleak description of the world that we all live in that it's broken that it's fragile and in this psalm Mountains, you should read nations, kingdoms, that they roar and they foam and they fall and they crash, and we see it, don't we? When you turn on the TV or go on social media or whatever you, however you get your news, every day there's another nation that seems fragile. There's another situation that's threatening to kill us all, wipe us all off the face of the earth. Be it uh, the fears around climate change or the, or the virus that seems to be spreading across the globe. The doomsday clock which is the, the, the clock where they keep it. But they've got this clock. And then when it strikes 12, uh, you know, it's not a hickory dickory dock moment. We'll all die just to cheer you up. And, uh, and so they keep moving the hand every time something happens a bit closer to 12. I think they're just trying to raise my anxiety levels. It's not very helpful, really. And so at the moment the uh, doomsday clock is now 100 seconds from 12. That doesn't mean you've got a minute and 40 seconds left to live. But it just gets closer and closer and closer. Everything that happens, they kind of factor that in. They work out how long we've got left. So the whole world seems fragile, doesn't it? There are fires, of course, in Australia. We think of Brexit, we think of impeachments. And then there's all the other news that we've stopped reporting because we're distracted by Trump and Brexit and everything else. we've stopped thinking about Syria and places like that that still continue to be bombarded and treated badly. But this psalm, when you take God out of it, has a very sobering, depressing message. That life is extremely fragile our world seems to be on the edge and actually the question people are asking is is it possible to have any hope for the future can we save ourselves is there anything we can do to rescue it or is this just going to get worse and worse will the clock strike 12. will it be me or my kids or my grandkids that get it which one of us is going to be the unlucky generation and that's the question people are asking but how Wonderful is the Bible, a timeless book that documents the beginning of time and the end of time. We have the whole story in the palm of our hands every morning or every evening that you read your Bible. We have the whole story. And the answer to that question is, can we have hope? The answer is yes. Not because the world's going to get any better. We believe as Christians this world will finally break one day and it will pass away and God will make everything new. But we believe about God is what changes it. And Psalm 46, when you take all the stuff about the world out, says the following words about the character and the nature of our God. He describes him as our refuge. He uses the word strength. He's present. Not a future hope, a present help. He describes as our help. He's described as holy. Think of all that's unholy in our world. All the stuff that goes on the internet that we fear for our kids. God is holy. He's high, but he's most high. Lots of people set themselves up on thrones, don't they, in kingdoms. God is the most high God. He's described as a fortress, someone that we can run into and be safe. All of verse 9 describes God wonderfully. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He's called the God of hosts hosts being the heavenly beings so God isn't just higher than men and women who think they're kings and queens he's higher even than the angelic beings in heaven he is the most high God and that psalm tells us our world is fragile but our God is better and what I love about psalm 46 and what's wonderful about it is the writer takes those two themes those two truths and then just wonderfully combines the two in a song And I think it's just awesome. He interlaces the truths about God with the reality of our world. That psalm is able to sing about kingdoms that fall and people attacking God's people and fear and brokenness. But not from a position of terror, but from a position of confidence. The confidence that only comes, only comes through faith and trust in our holy God and his character. I love it. I love the fact that the Christian can stare death in the face and feel no fear. The Christian can hear of wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus has already said, don't worry. That's going to be normal. The kingdom will come. The Christian can stare darkness and say, my God, this darkness is as if it's light to him. We can look at the corner of the world where we feel most isolated and say God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's all powerful and he's all knowing. And the psalmist just takes those two things, those two themes, and overlays and interlaces the truths of God with the pain of the world. And the hope that brings the reader is phenomenal. And there's a real lesson here. Perhaps it's a simple lesson, but I think it's an important one. This morning, are you allowing God into your pain? Are you allowing God into your suffering and your questioning and your doubts and your frustrations? For many people, they see it's either one or the other. It's it's not supposed to be one or the other, but most people think, well, I'm having a really rough time. And they say things like, I can't quite cope with church at the moment. I'm struggling to pray because this is going wrong. It's not one or the other. It's not, I pray when it's good and I struggle when it's bad. The hope for the Christian is is that both happen at the same time. I get to have the most terrible experiences, but then have the truths and the hope of God holding me during them. God never promised that we wouldn't suffer, but he promised that he would be there as we suffer. Strength and a foundation to stand upon even when everything else crumbles around us. An example of this, I may cry, um, There's a guy called Toby Mack. You remember a few weeks ago I told you of an American Christian singer-songwriter whose 21-year-old son died. And, uh, And his son died of an accidental overdose. He clearly struggled with things like depression and he obviously took too much of something and sadly he died. Toby Mack wrote a song called 21, which I find myself listening to most days because he has taken this most awful of tragedies But then he's got this handful of promises about God. And he's put the two together in this wonderful song. I'm just going to read you some of the lyrics. I won't sing it. um, But I'll read you some of the lyrics. So this is how it starts. So I woke up because the light poured in. So I was in bed. Day two, let the flood begin. Day one left me in my bed. I can barely remember it. Heart shattered in a thousand ways. They tell me pain is going to come in waves. They tell me I'm going to be okay. But I'm still waiting For the first to break. Why would you give and then take him away? Suddenly end. Could you not let it fade? What I would do for a couple of days. Just a couple of days. And that's his pain. That's the truth of the world he now exists in. But then listen to the chorus. This is the truth of God put into his pain. So he asks the question, is it just across the Jordan? Or a city in the stars? Are you singing with the angels? Are you happy where you are? Well, until this show is over and you run into my arms, God has you in heaven, but I have you in my heart. And he says again in the same vein, talks about not making sense of it, wanting to hear his son in the morning laughing and nicking his shoes and all the things that happened. Wanted to see his second show. He only got to see one. He only performed one. And he goes in to the chorus again, but he does this refrain where he talks to God during his pain. He says to God, did you see him, his son, did you see him from a long way off? Were you running towards him with a father's heart? Did you wrap him up inside your arms and let him know that he's home? And then he says to God about his son, did, you see, did he see you from a long way off? Running towards him with a father's heart. Did you wrap him up inside your arms and let him know that he's home? And then he ends the song like this. 21 years makes a man full grown. 21 years, what a beautiful loan. 21 years, I loved everyone. Thank you, Lord, for my beautiful son. This is sad, isn't it? Um, but, what's key, and I know it's hard, he's letting God in the centre of his pain. It's easier said than done. I know that. But all those promises of God, he's letting those define the hurt, not the hurt defying his faith. And that is the right way round. That is the right way round. And so the psalm carries on. And this psalm gives us three reference points to get through a world where everything crumbles in the end. We're offered a place of safety. In verses 4 and 5 of this psalm, it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. They're given this reminder, Israel, that as the world falls around you, as you're attacked because of the fact that you're God's people and you've got all these enemies, there's a place where you can flee to. Mount Zion you can go to Israel where God's very presence rests it was an actual physical place when it speaks of that city that is their heart the heart of their nation the heart of their country where God's presence was above the tabernacle in the most holy place in the temple that's where they could run they could run to where God was that was their safe place God would be with them and if God was for them then no one could stand against them and whilst we're not offered a physical place to run to, people used to shout sanctuary in the church, but that's a slight misunderstanding. But we have a spiritual place to run to, a spiritual place that does more for us than anyone else ever could. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, sadly, I seem to only read this at funerals, but how good this is for all of us to hear this morning. We're not offered a place to find God, but we're offered the opportunity to enter his presence for that sense of safety and blessing. Matthew 28, uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can't go to a place, but we can enter the presence of God any time we pray. That talks in Psalm 46 about a river as well, a river that makes glad the city of God, a stream. And of course, uh, cities that are strong and vibrant and living have rivers flowing through them or coming out of them. And it was a picture of God's blessing going out and blessing the world. And again, in John chapter four, we haven't got an actual river to go and be blessed at, but in John chapter four, verse 14, Jesus speaks of that moment of salvation and what God does within us says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that river that Israel had as a, a sign of God's blessing, God puts within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it wells up to everlasting life. And I want to say this this morning. Some of you are spiritually dehydrated some of us in this room haven't topped up the tank for years we perhaps barely pray we barely read our bibles when we come to church we feel more irritated with what's going on than we do free to put hands in the air or clap or whatever you feel called to do are you dehydrated spiritually when was the last time you enjoyed the presence of god When was the last time you you burst, your heart exploded because you love Jesus so much, It's so fantastic. I love it how I'm staying in the presence of God. When was the last time you were in his presence? I don't mean going through the motions of a quiet time or enduring a sermon of a man that won't shut up, but genuine, quality, deep, rich relationship with the King of Kings. That's your privilege and mine. But I know there are some here who are spiritually dehydrated. And that is such an awful place to be. Some here have neglected the very presence of God. God offers that on a plate. Take it. Get into his presence. Go to that place, that presence of God. The second thing, uh, the second reference point for going forward is hope. They're offered a future hope, aren't they? Verse 9 and 10 speaks of war ceasing to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And that hope was a future hope. They knew that one day God's kingdom was going to come through the Messiah. It was a Messianic hope. This figure was going to come from God and he was going to set the world free and bring God's kingdom to its full reality. It was a future hope for the future, that all was going to be well eventually. As Christians, our hope is still wrapped up in Jesus. In Revelation chapter 21 verses one to seven i might cry again almost Um, but we're told this this is our future hope still wrapped up in that same messiah from isaiah from psalm 46 john writes and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for it is trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life to those who are victorious will inherit all this i will be their god and they will be my children we're offered a hope for the future that no matter how much the world crumbles around us god will win in the end and finally we're given an opportunity For the here and now. Verse 10 is probably my most favourite verse in the Bible. I say that and next week it will be something different. There's quite a lot of them. He says, God says, be still and know that I am God. And I love that verse. There's much debate as to who God's actually talking to. Is he talking to the nations that are rising up against God's people as in, you lot, I'm going to win this. Or is he talking to his people and saying, be quiet, be still, I'm going to win this. But either way, the message of that, start, that verse is that in a world that crumbles, where sin and darkness rage, God is able to say to us, Stop. Stop worrying. I'm the king of kings. And I'm on your side. You're on my side, I should say. How brilliant is that? It reminds me of when Jesus calmed the storm. And actually, I've been told in Hebrew um, that actually that phrase, be still, isn't a quiet sort of slightly sort of sawbridge-worth taken, you know, shh, be still. It's like that. It's more, stop it. Be still. I'm the king. It's like that. I think it's more like that. It's more a command to stop looking at what crumbles around you and start looking at who's on the throne. And maybe this morning you need that slightly sterner, clearer word from God that just says, enough of looking at what breaks start looking at what lasts and outlasts forever. An opportunity to trust the one who can be exalted even among the storms. And so there you have it. I'm done. Our world, almost, I've got one paragraph to read to you, but there we are. Our world and our situations, even our enemies can suggest to us that they are the strongest, can't they? And life is full of mountains and nations that we seem unable to overcome. But what Psalm 46 tells us, tells us of a God who can speak louder, who can shatter the sharpest weapon, and who will win in the end, whose peace will reign from Zion, and who invites us to be close to him, to stand with him as his children, as his people. What a privilege it is to be able to know and be known by our mighty God. That what we have, we can be secure when all around is fading and crumbling. This morning, Is that how you feel? Do you feel strong in the Lord? Let's stand for a moment, just where we are. I want to pray. Because you may have come into this place, we may have come into this place thinking, I don't want to stand anymore, I've had enough of standing up. I just want to lay down and give up. I've had enough of trying to fight this thing, it won't go away but you need to hear that command of God in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. There are people in this room that have gone through the most horrendous things and have come out the other side because they decided to let God be in their pain. And I want to pray for all of us, myself included, a simple prayer. And if you want to make it your own, just say amen at the end. And then we'll sing our final song. Father God, we stand here. Lord, some in this room, Lord, their legs can barely hold them up. Lord, in this room, our hearts are fragile. In this room, Lord, our doubts loom large. Lord, in this room, Lord, we feel angry towards you. We don't understand your ways and we struggle, Lord, with the plans that we know are good but seem so painful. And Lord, it feels like it's not nations that crumble and totter, but our very lives. Lord, we've run out of options. We've run out of chess moves. We don't know what to do next. And so, Father God, I pray, take me as I am. i come no other way. Lord, I stand here a broken man. I stand here fragile, not knowing what to do next. I need you like I've never needed you before. I need you like I've never, ever needed you before my father in heaven please give me your rest give me your presence give me your peace be with me in my pain because it isn't going to go away as quickly as i want help me to be wise help me to be diligent help me to be faithful but lord help me to be near you help me to rest in your presence above all other things and lord bring tomorrow i pray Or bring the next moment in this journey. Bring it quickly, Father. But Lord, until that day comes, bring your presence. Bring your peace, Lord, in the strongest way you can. Lord, I need you. Be exalted in my life. Be my fortress, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus, my Saviour. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our final song. If you want to pray with someone after the service, Julie will closing prayer, if she doesn't mind. Um, our prayer team, hopefully, will be down the front. If you want to pray with someone, please do that. Or maybe the Sonics touched you this morning or just this week, and you want to talk with someone a bit more formally, a bit longer, then I'm around during the week, happy to meet and, and pray. Or if you want to chat with someone else, I'm happy to arrange that for you. But if God has touched your heart this morning, don't leave without praying it through with someone.